Amen. Praise God. Isn't God great? Amen. All the time. Hallelujah. That has become a, a regular saying no matter where you go. I believe you could walk through the mall and say, isn't God great? And somebody would say all the time. Praise God. It's good to know the mindset of people is confident in God. Praise God. I'm confident that God is in control because if not, I am, I am going to be severely sorrowful and afraid. But God is in control. Praise God. God's in control of everything. Praise God. Amen. It's good to be home and in the house of God tonight. And I'm just looking forward to what God has in store for us. If you have your Bible, and uh, we'll turn to the book of First Chronicles. And I'll, I'll talk slow while the musicians and singers are moving about. Make their, don't want to get too far ahead of them. Amen. If you haven't recognized, it is, it's time to get in this. It's not time to wait around and see if, you know, if there's something you don't understand about God, don't wait till you understand it to decide that he's all right. Just go ahead and, and, and get all of it, get involved in it. I promise you, you'll find that that thing that you had a question about, you were the one wrong and he was right. Praise God. Amen. First Chronicles 21 and verse 10. And it says, well, in verse 9, this is so you know who's talking. And the Lord spake unto Gad, which was David's spiritual advisor. And he told him, he said, go and tell David, verse 10, go and tell David, saying, thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. So Gad came up to David and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Choose thee. Either three years famine, or three months to be destroyed before thy foes, while the sword of thine enemies overtake thee. Or else three days the sword of the Lord, even the pestilence in the land, and the angel of the Lord destroying through all the, throughout all the coasts of Israel. Now therefore advise thyself what word I shall bring again to him that sent me and David said unto Gad I am in a great strait let me fall now into the hand of the Lord for very great are his mercies but let me not fall into the hand of man amen and verse 18 says then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and set up an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Ornon the Jebusite. And David went up at the saying of Gad. Amen. I'll fill in the blanks here in a minute. But let's go to the Lord. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for your spirit, God, for your word. And we ask you to minister tonight to our hearts and minds. We give you glory and honor in advance for all you're going to do, Lord. I pray you quicken us by your word and draw us to the place that you would have us. And we give you praise for it. And we give you glory. And we give you honor. In the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, God, we take authority right now against every distraction, against every problem, against every demon in hell that would try and take away from this service. 
in the name of Jesus. And we give you praise in Jesus' name, that name that has all authority above all, in Jesus' name. Amen. Say, in Jesus' name, you can be seated. Amen. The chapter begins with verse 1 that says, And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. He stood up against David's family. As king, he was father of the nation. He stood up against the family and he began to provoke the one in charge. He began to provoke the one in control of the situation. How do you, how, how, do you know you're going to be provoked? If you're doing anything halfway right, you're going to be provoked. Satan is going to try his best to get you to slip up, to get you to mess up. He's going to try and provoke you to do something you shouldn't do. He's going to try and provoke you to come up short. And, 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 and as a human, I've been provoked and I've fallen for it. I've come up short before. And I know if we were to show a hand tonight, you would say, I have fallen for that before. I have, I have come up short. I have been provoked and, and I fell for the trick and the trap and I, I went after that thing. And David did so. He, he was provoked and he did what he was provoked to do was to number Israel, was to measure his worth and the amount of greatness that he had and the number of people that were under him. He took a census. And it was against God's law. It offended God because God doesn't want us to measure how great we are. God doesn't want... You, the, I, I'm going to try and preach a good message tonight. Well, let me, I'm going to preach a good message tonight. It's probably not going to be the greatest of wow messages. I, I, I want to be the minister who can minister. I, it's taken me a little while to understand that I don't have to have the greatest spiritual biblical trick to make it sound good, but I'm going to preach the word tonight, if that's all right. He doesn't need you to measure your greatness. And I know I, I am a part of a generation, and many of you under the sound of my voice, and it's not even my generation, the generation above me, we have been consumed with showing and measuring our greatness. We have been consumed with the, every technical device that says you have a status. The iPhone and the iPad, and I'm not, a, I'm not against the technology, I'm not, but our generation is getting consumed with trying to one-up the other one. And in doing so, we have got this great mindset that we have this ability to be great in ourselves. And so we have been provoked, if you allow me that at least, we've been provoked to try and show ourselves better than the one sitting on the pew next to us or, or the one living in the house next to us, uh, next door. We've loud status uh, and we've been provoked as a nation. We've been provoked as a nation to try and show ourselves to be the better one in the group. Now, I'm proud to be an American, and I believe I'm in the greatest nation in the world. But it doesn't have anything to do with Steve Jobs. It has everything to do with, in God we trust. A nation founded on godly principles. The fact that we can be here tonight, and there weren't guards stopping you from coming in. Nobody stood by you to make sure you didn't say hallelujah too loud. We're involved in the greatest nation. But your greatness is not based on what you have. And David went out and began to see how great he was, provoked by the enemy. God doesn't need you to see how great you are. He needs you to trust in how great he is. He needs you to trust in how great and how amazing and how much he can wow you. 
Praise God. Now, I'm not going to get into everything. My wife and I recently sold everything we own. If you don't know, we don't live in South Carolina anymore. We sold everything we own. And I'm not having a pity party. But God took us to a place to allow us to remove some things from our lives. To let us understand that it's more about Him than it is the things. Praise God. I'm blessed beyond measure today. I am blessed beyond measure. But God has worked miracles in our lives in the past few months that, that I never saw coming. But I realize it's not about me. It's about Him. And I've been provoked at times to do things and act the way I shouldn't. But all I want to do tonight is trust in that He is great and greatly to be praised. And He deserves more than I can try and type up on a computer. He deserves more than I can try and show in my greatness. He's great and I'm nothing. Hallelujah. He's great and I'm nothing. He's great and I am nothing. He's great and I am nothing. He's greater than you could ever imagine. You need to get the mindset that says, I don't need things and I don't need this world to validate me. I'm, I know who's great. Praise God. But David did exactly what most of us are guilty of. He began to count his wealth and count his greatness and see how vast his kingdom was and And if you understand the principle of knowing the census, you understand that he could know how much money was in the kingdom. He could know how much tax to expect. God said, do not do that. You don't trust in them, you trust in me. And it offended God. And so I'm filling in the blanks if you haven't figured it out. I didn't want to read the whole chapter. But God went to Gad and said, well, there's some other players involved that were all offended that that David made them they knew they shouldn't, but David made his kingdom, his, his rulers go out and number. But when Gad spoke to God and God said, go tell David that I am offended that he has sinned against me, that his trust is not in me, his confidence is not, his trust is in the number of people, his confidence is in what he has, and I cannot use a king, I cannot use a person, I can't use the lowest person who has confidence outside of me. Praise God. God offered him three choices. He said, David, you can have three years of famine covering your kingdom. You can have three months of losing war after war and battle after battle. If someone comes to fight you, I will guarantee that there will be lives lost and you will walk out of there losing the battle. Or three days and you let me handle it. He said, three days and the angel of the Lord and my hand working and David understood. He said, let me fall now into the hand of God because great are His mercies. He won't do to me what I deserve. He won't give me what I deserve. I understand His grace and His mercy. I don't want to see my people suffer. I don't want to see my people lose in war, but I want to fall into the hand of God because His mercy is greater than I can ever imagine. And I know that He won't mete out to me what is due to me. I know that He won't do to... Do you understand that God's grace is greater? His mercy is greater than anything you could ever come across, than anything you could ever find to purchase. God's grace in your life has kept you from getting what you truly deserve. God's grace has kept him from coming against you when no one else saw what you did. When no one else was there in the dark room. But they saw, but God knew. And he said, I'll keep from judging and hurting you in that if you'll just turn back to me. 
God's grace. He's, he understood His mercy. He said, let me fall into the hand of God. Now you can look at this and say, you know what? I would have chosen the famine. Because I'm the king. I could justify myself for taking from the mouths of people that were starving to make sure the king's family was taken care of. And, and famine, it would not affect like it, it, it might be a three years of famine, but I could justify myself. And I could make sure, you know, God, I let you have the famine and somehow we survive. Of course you could. You're the king. You would take from them. He could have said three months of wars. Well, we'll just try and stay back. But if the, if the battle comes, it'll just be a cost to us. And we lose people in battle all the time, even though we're victorious. It would just cost a little more. And no one would know the difference. No one would be the wiser. The greatest downfall of any person is to justify yourself and to think that you're okay in doing what you're doing. Self-justification. Can I preach on just a moment? You've justified yourself when you knew you were wrong, when you knew God was saying, this is going to cost you three years of famine. You say, that's all right, God, I can survive the problem if no one else knows what I did. I can survive the loss of the battle if no one else realizes that it was my fault. Quit justifying yourself and find a place that says, God, let me fall into the hand of your hand. God, let me get in your mercy and your grace. Don't justify where you come up short. Don't justify yourself the greatest error of the 70s was self-esteem my dad most of your parents if you messed up I got a whooping one time for something the boy down the street did my brother and I stood in the living room and said dad David that lives on the corner did that and my dad said you're getting a whipping anyways because you probably did something else that i didn't get you for we got a whipping for david throwing mud in the neighbor's pool my dad didn't believe in self-esteem self-esteem is the greatest thing of error in the generation today it causes parents to go to school i'm teaching for a moment it causes parents to go to school and take their kids' side and make a fool of themselves. It causes parents to get out on the soccer field and the baseball field and go to punching each other because their kid lost. Their kid, you know what? It was all right to whoop us every now and then. It was all right for us to lose a ball game. We understood that the next time we got to try a little harder. It, it taught us that I can't justify myself for everything that comes to me. It taught me that if I made a mistake, I've got to man up and take responsibility for it. I don't need to stand up and make excuses for my problems and my sins and my trouble. It has allowed me to stand at the altar of God and say, God, I've failed you and I've messed up. But Lord, if you will, just let your mercy handle me. Just let your grace handle me. I don't want to be in the hand of a man. You can justify yourself if you want to tonight. And you can do things and no one would be the wiser. No one would have known that David had caused the famine. No one would have known that David had caused the loss in the war. But David said, no. His mercy. His mercy. David chose the hand of the Lord. You need to choose God's rule in your life. Even when you're wrong.
even when you know that you are at fault when you've done it and you've done it wrong and you've done it poorly and you know that the consequences are going to be not to your liking, you need to allow God. You, most of us want God to be in charge when things are going good, when the, when the paycheck is big and when life is great and there's two new cars in the driveway and the mortgage is paid. But you know what? When you messed up and you made a mistake and things aren't going so well, why don't you go and say, God, I'm still under your rule. You're still in charge. You're still the one that I'm going to fall into the hand of. Praise God. God's mercy stopped the angel. See, the difference between number one and, and, and number one, two, and number three was the famine would have covered the land. It would have just been at God's command. And the battles would have been at the hands of, of the enemies. But number three, when David said, let me fall into the hand of the Lord. There was an angel that God sent and commissioned to begin to destroy Jerusalem. Now, I don't know how much destruction he did, but he didn't get very far before God said, it's enough. Stop right there. David understood my mercy. I'm not going to destroy him. But the angel was visible to the people. The angel was seen and they knew something was going on. And David saw the angel and the other people could, other people could see the angel standing there with his sword drawn and being held back by the hand of God. Sometimes it's alright to be open and bear and say, you know what God, I know that it's going to expose me. It's going to show me for what I've done. Somebody's going to know that I caused the angel to be the one hovering with the cross, with the, the, the sword. I, I, someone's going to know that I did it. It's alright. Don't let your self-esteem keep you from an altar moment. Don't let your self-justification keep you from finding a place to bury your face and say, God, if you'll hold back that sword, I'll make it right and I'll get right. And that's what David did. David saw that and he seen that the angel was staying and he realized then, oh, oh, I have really caused it. And he said, God... Deal with me and me alone. Would you stop what's going on? I see that you've stayed the sword and I see you holding it back. I don't know what you have in store, but would you just stop hurting them? Would you just deal with me? Would you just deal with me alone, God? And God said, I'm merciful. I'll give you an opportunity. And he said to David, he told David, he said, build an altar. In the threshing floor of Ornon. Now I don't know if there was some significance to Ornon or not. But the scripture just says that's where the angel just stopped. God held him up there. It may have just been the point where God said we're right here so you come do it here. But the threshing floor was a place for the wheat to be purified and separated. I'd like to, I'd like to build an altar on a threshing floor. I need an altar on a threshing floor. I need a place to purify me and separate me from the things that I've caused and from the places I've done and the things and the things in my life that have caused me to fail. I need a place to separate me from those sins and those problems and to make me pure again. It's a great place for an altar, regardless of if, if God had some spiritual insight into it or not. Let me, let me tell you the story. David begins to head to Ornon's threshing floor. And Ornon is with his boys 
working the wheat. And Ornan looks up and sees the angel of the Lord standing above him, hovering with the sword drawn, and his boys are frightened and fearful and run away. And Ornan sees that, and all of a sudden, just imagine this, you're, you're out working in the backyard. Here's the angel of the Lord hovering over you with a sword drawn. You don't, you don't know what's going to go on. And then you look down the driveway, and here comes the king of Israel walking up your driveway. I believe Ornan was overwhelmed. But David walked up to Ornan and said, David, or Ornan, I, I'm the king. Yeah, yeah, I know that. David, he had already fell to his face and worshipped. Stand up. Let me talk to you. I need to buy this threshing floor. Now, Ornan, overwhelmed, said, you can have it. I believe that had been my response. Between you and him, I'm out. It's yours. In fact, he offered him. He said, I'll give you all of these implements that we use for threshing wheat that you can transfer and make into things to do sacrifice with. Things that you can use to make, uh, to do the worship that you need to do here. And David said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I caused that. That angel is for me. And I have done all I can do to hold him there at God's request. But see, I don't need you to give me a threshing floor. I don't want to borrow a threshing floor. I I don't want to set, the scripture says that God said for him to go make an altar in the threshing floor. But David understood something. You know what? I've caused this. I did this when I knew I shouldn't have. And there's something here, Ornan. I'm sorry, Ornan. But your, your business is about to get blessed. Well, here, you can have it. You can do what well, I don't want to borrow. I don't want to use it. I want to buy it. I want to own it. There's some things in, in, in God's design that are worth going the extra mile for. They're worth going a little further for. God may have just asked of you to just find a place to pray. You know, I like to, when I'm here, I sit right here. And usually in the altar service, I'm about right here. You know why? There are names written on this concrete that I wrote right here. This is my threshing. I don't want to go borrow yours. I don't want to come over here and stand in your spot. And I've had people come to me and say, let me get you out of that corner. I like my corner. They're not there because it's a corner. It's there because I've, I've laid some tears down there. I've done some things in that corner. I have laid some prayers down. I, I have literally written names of lost loved ones and friends on the concrete over here. That's my threshing floor. I don't want to borrow it from you. I want to pay you for it. You need to find a place. The problem with my generation, the problem with the generation coming up under me, and the problem with the generation above me is that we've quit paying a price for what we need in our life. We have quit paying the price for what God is requiring of us. Ornan, I don't want to know what the value is of this. I'm the king. Best guess I could give it, and my my scholarly skills are way off. The best I could figure is that the very least for a plot of dirt that had been leveled out and beaten and sun-baked dry with rocks laying around it, David paid no less 
than $576,000 for it. That's at the bare minimum. It could have been in the millions because the, the way we understand the shekel. But he handed Ornon 600 shekels of gold. Ornon just retired. But David understood. David had been... It, it, there's been a whole lot of things given to us that we should have paid a price for. There's been a whole lot of Ornon threshing floors given to us that we should have paid a price for. And if you pay a price for something... I learned a long time ago, if I pay for something, it costs, I take care of it. It's important to me. But he paid the price for his threshing floor. And then he set up an altar. He built a place of worship right there where God had requested him to. He built a place of worship where he found God to be. He said he built a place of worship where he found God to be. In the middle of his mess. He didn't run to the tabernacle. He didn't run to the temple. He didn't run back to Gad. The spiritual advisor. And say can, can we talk this out. He said I'm paying for this. This is my mistake. I'm paying for this. You need to. Begin to pay the price. You need to begin to invest. In your spiritual life. I know some of you are, are older than me. And you've been in this a long time. But I have found that we have missed out on the things in the last, the, this, my generation, the generation coming up, has missed out on the miraculous and the godliness and the blessings because we've justified ourselves for being just a little less than we could have been. We have justified things. Now, y'all know me, I like to have a good time. And this is hard to preach here, but this is what I, I had a totally different message in mind and God quickened this to my spirit this morning. And for those of you that are young marrieds and those of you that are young people, you need to find a place in God and begin to invest your life into it. You probably won't make $576,000 in your lifetime. So give Him your life and pay the price. Give Him all that you are and let it be invested in the kingdom. You need a threshing floor to build an altar to separate you from this world and to purify you from the mistakes that you're going to make. What we don't have anymore in this generation is prayer closets. What we don't hear is mamas crying out in the closet uh, while the babies are in there playing because mama's at work and, and daddy's at work and they come home exhausted and the Bible doesn't get opened in the, in the living room and read every night and prayer doesn't come. But you better find a way to pay a price and begin to invest in your life. You need to find a way to pay the price and say, God, I'll quit the job if it means I can get godliness in my home. Oh, my. I have been so convicted here of late, and I may just be preaching my, my personal conviction, but God has been dealing with me in so many ways. These, these things that we enjoy are costing us our spiritualism. They're costing us our walk with God. And it's time. I'm not telling you to go throw your laptop away. But I am telling you to put it down. And I know it's cliche. But I have been so bored with Facebook. I don't post much on there anymore. I used to 
enjoy just seeing. I look at it maybe once a day if that on my phone. Just I just I'm, I found it. I said I'm so bored with this. I want to read my Bible. I want to invest. I want to get to things. And I, I'm gonna just tell you. Look, when I started Bible college, my first year of Bible college, I went to General Conference for the first time in Des Moines, Iowa. And I was so proud of myself. I mean, I just thought, man, this is great. Never been here. Never. And I saw the pastor of the church. He wasn't the pastor at the time, but the church that I went to when I was a bus kid. I saw the pastor. And he knew me. I, I, you know, we, and I went up to him and said, hey, bud. You remember? Yeah, how you doing? Good, good. And I thought, he is going to be so amazed and so glad that I'm in Bible class. He's going to ask me to come preach a revival. And I told him, man, I'm in TBC, and I was grinning ear to ear. And his, now he's old school. He's, I don't think he's still alive. I don't know. He was old then. If he's still alive, he's, he's getting close to Methuselah. But he looked at me, and he said, that's great. Are you praying? And he walked off. I have never forgotten that. And when I find I'm not praying enough... Somehow, Melvin Moore's voice rings in my ear and says, that's good. You're busy. That's good you're doing this and that. Are you praying? Are you investing yourself in what you want to be involved in? Are you paying a price? Are you, are you pushing away from the table? Are, are you getting involved in the things that are going to matter? Let me quit meddling. You need to be at church every time church is open. I'm not preaching to you older saints that are here, but to my generation who would miss a ball, miss church for a ball game. I have been walked out on while preaching by musicians because the NFL was going on. And I thought, no wonder we didn't have good church. The musician was more worried about what the Denver Broncos were going to do than if God was going to show up. You need to be involved in what God is doing. Quit trying to justify how you want to live and decide to pay a price. Quit justifying yourself for coming up short when you feel the Spirit of God tugging on your heart. And decide, you know what? I don't think we need to go there. I don't think we need to do that. Well, not because it may be right or wrong. Not because it might send you to hell. But because we ought to get in a little more time invested in where we think we should be. Don't justify how you want to live. Don't try and find loopholes in the Scripture. Decide to live it because it's right to live. Decide to act it because it's right to act. Don't come to church on Sunday and on Monday act like the world. Decide to be different. Decide to pay the price. Even if somebody looks at you and says, what is it about you? You younger generation need to hear me. You that are my age or younger, you need to listen to me. I'm finally old enough to preach like this. And I'm not very old. But if we don't start living. God quickened a scripture to me right before service. I'm not, I'm not preaching standards tonight. I'm preaching about a way of life. That was lived by the generation before me. 
that you knew they were godly because it showed. You knew they lived for God because they were at church every time the doors were open. They were there praying before service started. They weren't in the foyer talking. They weren't chatting it up. They weren't on the picture of faith posting to Facebook. They weren't in the middle of church texting. They were in church with a notepad taking notes of what God was going to do. They were in church living for God and you knew it. Psalm 145. He begins exalting the Lord in all these ways. But it says in verse 4, One generation shall praise thy works to another. Now I'm not going to have an old time testimony service tonight. And shall declare thy mighty acts. He goes on, I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts. And I will declare thy greatness. One generation to another. There's another scripture just come to mind in Psalms. It says, this shall be written. That a generation yet to be created, yet to come shall praise the Lord, that something should take place in this generation, that a generation that's not here yet would know how to get in the presence of God, would know what it is to pay a price and get in the presence of God. And I'll tell you what, I learned from my mother. Mom, I want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I remember this. I did this. And I heard... The soft sobs of a mother praying. And I sat down outside her door, just a little boy, and waited for mom to finish praying to get my PB&J. I was more of a J guy. I didn't want the PB very much. You've got to pay a price. You've got to pay a price. You need to fast. You need to pray. You need to invest your time in this. You need to put your kids in Sunday school. You need to put your young people at youth. Sir, I was never more disappointed as youth pastor here than when I would get to youth service on Friday night and find out that so-and-so was grounded and was not coming to youth service. Now, I'm not telling anybody how to parent. But if, that's self-esteem. But if there's youth service going on, take them and set with them. Take them and drop them off and make sure you pick them off when it's over. Don't let them hang out for the pizza afterwards. But don't deny them the presence of God that's tailor-made to them. Pay the price. Make sure your kids are in youth service before they're in T-ball. Make sure they're in the presence of God before they're at the baseball field. Make sure that you invest your life in your family in the church of God. Praise God. You need a place for an altar. And David did what was required of him by God. David went above and bought the threshing floor. 
And David built an altar. And David set up the altar. And he offered offerings and burnt offerings on the altar. And he looked up at the angel. And the angel put his sword in his sheath. And the scripture says that David understood. David knew everything was all right. And most of us would think that was great. Most of us in that situation would have said, thank God. Dodge the bullet. Thank you, Lord. I'm so glad you're merciful. I knew you'd be merciful. I knew you would do that. I knew you'd find a way for me to escape. And I, I have offered the offering and the burnt offering there. But David, when he saw that, Go back and read it. He offered offering what was required of him, what was demanded by God. He showed up. He built the altar. He, he, he bought the floor. He, he did it all. And he burnt the sacrifice, the offering, and he made the offering as it was scripturally, probably perfection, probably the way it should have been done. He, he probably had somebody get, get Leviticus out open. Let's read this. Let's make sure we do it right. And the angel put the sword up and David would have been so pleased. But David then began to pay a price. See, most of us think that $576,000 for a threshing floor, at least that, maybe a million, maybe more, that's paying a price. That's investing. Really? All of that to do what God just, the, the bare minimum that God asked of you? All of that to do what God had asked of him. Not one step more. The offering was what David did. And then it says, the angel put the sword up and then, read it, the scripture says, then David sacrificed. You come in here tonight. You you worshiping, singing, clapping your hands, that that's great. It's investing in your spiritual life. It is giving God something that He He required. Bare minimum. But for you to wake up tomorrow morning and hit your knees before you go to work and spend ten minutes in prayer. Sacrifice. When you understand that what you've done to live for God has just stayed the hand of God. It's just kept Him from slaughtering more. It's just kept Him from from judging you a little bit more. And I could do the bare minimum. I could offer and Lord, this is what you required of me. This is what you asked of me. And here it is. I even bought this threshing floor. I'm the king. I've got millions of dollars at my disposal. Do you think $576,000 did anything for Him? I've read this scripture many times. I thought, whoa, He paid a price for that threshing floor. No, he paid a price when he made offering and God said, that's, that's what I needed from you. And he said, I realize that God, but now it's time for me to pay a price. Bring in some more rams, bring in some more oxen, bring it in and let's sacrifice to God. This is what's going to cost me. This is what's going to hurt me. This is what God wants from me. 
He doesn't need you to come in and make offering and do the bare minimum. What He needs from you is to realize to ever see something great in the kingdom of God, to ever be something great. It's going to take a little more than the bare minimum. The bare minimum might get you to heaven, but you might have a starless crown. The bare minimum might get you to heaven and there'll be no one there that you won to God. The bare minimum might get you through the gates, but you're, you're just not going to have anything to show for what you did. And I'm convicted because of the generations that have gone before me. I will never live up to being able to be the man of God that men like J.T. Pugh were. That, that Brother Kilgore and CPQ, I will never be able to do that. But I want to invest and give as much sacrifice and as much cost and pay the price as much as I can that maybe I can get close. That maybe when I get there that God would say, you gave it a good effort and there's some things to show for it. You invested and here's what it taught. It did for you. The old song... Thank you for giving to the Lord. He never knew what he did till he made it to the other side and the line was long. I probably won't have the longest line, but I want to make sure there's a line. I want to make sure that there's something there but that by the effort that I gave him. Let's stand together. David, you did the minimum and God was pleased Yeah, but it's not enough. I'm going to sacrifice. Bring some more in. I'm not finished here. I bought a place of worship. A place of worship it's going to be. I bought an altar site. There's going to be some alterings going on. There's going to be some sacrifices in this thing that I am invested in. The last three verses said that David sacrificed. And he couldn't go to the tabernacle of the wilderness because the season it was in was in Gibeon. It moved, it traveled. And he could not make it to the temple for fear that God might change his mind. But on a place that he bought and then paid a price for in sacrifice, he stood at an altar of his own building and he said, This he said, I can't get to the tabernacle and I can't get to the temple. But this right here is the house of God. This is the place that I have just built and invested in and paid a price and sacrifice that God would dwell in my presence. My God, do you want to build a house for God tonight? Do you want a place in your own life? I don't need to come to the church house. I, I can't get to the tabernacle and I can't get to the temple. But in my efforts of sacrificing and giving to God, I can build a place right here. Let me go to my corner. I hope you have a place in this building. I know we talk about home. You need to have that, but you need to have a place Wherever you are, this is the house of God right here. This is the place that I can touch Him and I can sacrifice and connect to Him. This is the place that I can give to Him more of a price. Come on, my generation. He made there a house of God. And in the first... 
First verse of chapter 22. David said, This is the house of the Lord God. And this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. I'm the father of this. It's for everybody. And built on that site, he paid a price and sacrificed. He gave to God for the family that he was in charge of. He gave to God for himself. He gave to God. He invested everything he could into it. Even to the point that when Solomon, his son, was being raised up. Let me just get my mental picture going. Come on, Solomon. Let's go for a walk. But Dad, we don't walk outside the kingdom much. I know, son. Let's go outside the, t- the, the castle. Let's go outside of here. See this place right here? Yeah, Dad. I made a big mistake one time. And this is the place that God redeemed me in. I wonder if you'd close your eyes and bow your head. To the young marriage and to the young people in this place. Some of you have listened to this whole sermon. And it still hasn't registered to you that you're not giving enough. That you're not doing enough. It's not upon our parents. It's not upon our grandparents. If the Lord tarries, it is upon my shoulders and your shoulders that this gospel will go forward. That a generation yet to come will know how to praise the Lord. We'll have a place to come to and say, This, son, is my threshing floor. This place, son. Well, Dad, what about it? It's just a plot of dirt. No, 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 Solomon. This is the house of God. You're going to build something great here. And Solomon erected on his father's sacrifice. The most beautiful house of God ever to be erected. That the doors shook with the Shekinah glory of God and the presence of God hovered in over the people as they worshipped. You would think right now somebody in this building would want to see that. Would want to be in a place that the presence of God would shake the very walls and doors. Would you cry out to Him? Would you begin to pay a price? Some of you are so consumed with making sure that Friday night and Saturday night are filled with fun and, and things to, to, to consume your mind. That it's foreign to you tonight to think I should give of myself. Entertain me. Holy Ghost, move. These altars are open. Somebody should be responding to the presence of God. Don't justify yourself tonight. Don't justify the fact that you could walk out of here and in 30 minutes this conviction will fade. 
But my God, I hope it waked you tonight. Would you make a move to the Lord? Would you find your threshing floor in this place? Don't give the bare minimum, but say, God. Every service I've come in and I've offered the offering, I know you're pleased. But sacrifice.